Dotnet Rocks episode 773 with guest Scott Hunter. Recorded live Thursday, May 17th, 2012. This episode is brought to you by Telerik and by Franklins.net, training developers to work smarter, and now offering Gesture Pack, a powerful gesture recording and recognition system for Microsoft Connect for Windows developers. Details at gesturepak.com. And now, here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. It's Carl and Richard, and we're, uh, we've got Scott Hunter coming up. It's going to be a great show. Richard, what's up, man? How's Vancouver this time of year? Beautiful and sunny, but more frightening than that, I just watched my daughter drive away with my wife to go take her driver's test. Ah, I got one driving now, too. Yep. It's a little scary. It's a lot scary. Yeah. Uh, You you know, the the biggest casualty of teaching my daughter how to drive was coming two inches from not having a front yard light post. Nice. You got right to it, huh? Two inches. That's Uh, what happens. At least it was a miss. (laughs) Hey, well, let's uh, get right started with uh, Better Know Framework. Awesome. So what do you got? Well, you know, this is kind of a, an ironic thing because I, I went to go look up ASP.NET routing. It's something that we actually don't do on our website. Hanselman does on his website. Yep. But uh, it really is pretty simple to do. Mm-hmm. If you go to tinyurl.com, and if you know, don't know what I'm talking about, you know, like we have uh, com slash default ASPX, you know, with a parameter show ID equals or show number equals blah, blah, blah as a parameter. But what we could do and what we should actually do and will do is just to have a uh, .nerox.com slash show number, you know, just the number itself. And that's that part of enough. the URL. Yeah. Or, or, you know, or or just using these names as uh, routes. Mm-hmm. So if you haven't done this, go to tinyurl.com slash ASPNetRouting. It's very simple. Uh, you basically can edit the global ASAX file for a web forms application and make it called a routes.mappageroute with a couple of parameters, and that maps your routes to your to your pages. And it's just pretty simple. And in MVC, uh, it's uh, you can basically call routes.mapRoute and routes.ignoreRoute, uh, and it's just a, a couple of simple calls. And it's not, MVC is not required for this. No, it's not required. It's a totally separate module. If you've got a web forms app, it works. You know, there's really no difference between any of these things. They're just more modules. So anyway, this uh, link that I sent you to is the documentation for ASP.NET Routing and .NET Framework 4.0. It's just pretty easy. You know, sitting down for 20 minutes, you'll have it done. You get it done. So that's a it. very relevant, better know framework for our show. Yeah, I'm trying to make them relevant. So yeah. who's talking to us, Richard? I got a comment in the same sort of league. Okay. Uh, this is from Alistair Davies, and he says, uh, and it's from show 765, and that was the show we did with Brian Noyes, talking about single-page applications. Yep. Very relevant. And Alistair says, uh, hi, great show. I just wanted to share some experiences I've had with single-page application deployment. At a previous client, we developed an internal line of business CRUD app. The project went well, and users were happy with the GUI. However, we hit support problems as the application matured. The data sets being downloaded to browsers got bigger and bigger, and the users kept the application open for longer, and we had unpredictable behavior on memory usage that made applications unstable with certain data sets. There was also a great deal of effort needed to architect the system to reduce round trips between browser and server to make responsiveness more accessible on remote sites. Browsers were never meant to be a replacement for operating systems or virtual machines, and the tooling is not there to diagnose what is actually going on in the browser. Single-page application architecture works well on smaller data sets, but needs to be used with care as things grow. What do you think? Yeah. Hard to argue with that. I mean, how many times have you run into an app that was brilliant when you started it up Mm -hmm. and then, you know, a few hours later has turned into a monster? Yeah, that's what happens. And you go to task manager or you go into, you know, if you're really a a Windows geek, you've got sysinternals process monitor. You're looking to go that, you know, I've got an Internet Explorer instance that's consuming a gigabyte of memory. You will die now. (laughs) 
<laughs> Time for you to go. So, yeah, it is an interesting problem, Alistair, uh, and certainly something to consider. What browser you're running in and how they're configured and how long things run for. I mean, those are all relevant problems as we start to explore using single-page applications. So I appreciate your thoughts, and I'm sure it was useful for others. So we will send you a .NET Rocks mug. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, just write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com. And before we introduce Scott, I need to tell you that Pluralsight provides comprehensive developer training online. They have over 250 hardcore developer training courses authored by MVPs and industry experts. They release 12 to 15 new courses every month and offer a free 10-day trial, giving you 200 minutes of access to their library. Pluralsight offers a wide range of developer training courses, including coverage of iOS, Java, Android, web development, and pretty much anything you can think of on the Microsoft stack including complete coverage of Windows 8 and .NET 4.5. Try Pluralsight today. Subscriptions start at just $29 a month. And now it's time to introduce our guest. Scott Hunter has been at Microsoft on the web platform and tools team as a principal program manager for the past five years, focusing on .NET web development. This includes working on .NET 3.5, .NET 4, .NET 4.5, plus ASP.NET web pages with Razor, Syntax, ASP.NET MVC, and most recently, ASP.NET Web API. Prior to working at Microsoft, he spent the last couple of years building intranet websites for managing the oil fields for large oil firms in California. His first programming experience was working for a startup in California called Mustang Software, building bulletin board systems in Turbo Pascal. We said this the last time you were on, Scott. I ran Mustang. <laughs> that was cool, BBS. That dates me, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Just I run into so many people. Scott Scott Hanselman from the team used to run Wildcat BBS as well. Yeah what what was what was the BBS uh, kind of my daughter? What was BBS is like? It was kind of like a, a monochrome version of the web. <laughs> yeah, monochrome version of the web, or blogs before blogs, or forums right. before forums, or. <laughs> and and let's just remind ourselves that was Andrews Halsberg's work. You know, Turbo Pascal. Yeah, he's still out there. He's still you know. We we got to thank him. That's the '80s, man. That's yep. old code. Yeah, that 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 that's a kind of a funny experience. I when we were building the bulletin board software with Turbo Pascal, we were one of the larger companies. We were actually a public public company that was using Turbo Pascal, and so as one of the larger companies, we would go up to uh, Borland, uh, Scotts Valley, once a year for their kind of insider developer conference. Sure. And uh, I went to uh, that that conference. Typically, had a party at Andrew's house every year. And so it was, it was so weird that in the eighties, I worked on, uh, the bulletin board software with the Turbo Pascal. And then, uh, you know, in, in the two thousands, I find myself at Microsoft, um, in the same building as Anders Halsberg again. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> so it's, uh, kind of, kind of funny how things loop around like that. Yeah. The languages have changed, but, uh, some of the people have not. Yeah. A lot of the, a lot of the folks from Borland that, that worked on, uh, Borland Pascal and Turbo Pascal are up here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the uh, uh, what was it called? The J plus plus framework. Um, yeah, was 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 basically, a, in my opinion, a clone of the uh, uh, the Delphi framework, and which then became the .NET framework. So, so it went Delphi to J plus plus to uh, .NET framework. That's amazing. Yeah, and it's all the same people, and it's been the same people for better part of thirty years. Yeah, twenty thirty years. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, I, I want to wonder what the next generation will look like. Not that we're dead yet, but you know, eventually. Yeah, I know. don't know what that's going. I don't know what that's going to look like. I mean, you know, the, the technologies bounce around so fast. I mean, a couple of years ago, all we heard was Rails, and uh, you know, we don't hear that much about Rails anymore. Um, and now, uh, you know, we all hear Node.js. And the question I, I always ask myself is: it, Is it going to stick, or is it just going to be the, the fad until the next big thing or the next? hot thing comes out and everybody moves to the next hot thing. Well, so. the problem with getting older is that we start looking at stuff that's been running for 10 years as a fad. <laughs> yes. like, this .NET thing, it's just about over. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it's got more than 10 years on it, so it's, it's, uh, the thing it's is, a fossil. We actually did say that about JavaScript, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, why? at the same time, why wouldn't you use it then? Because you know every, all things will pass. If it addresses a particular issue, I, I mean, I look at Node.js very much as, uh, okay, so we're tired of the weight of IIS and all the stuff that's around, so we're really stripping down to bare bones, right? The pendulum swung the other way. It's going to come back. Yeah, exactly. In fact, that's, that's what I, I tell people all the time is what will happen with Node.js is it, it starts off as, as nothing, 
very slim, and there'll be all these frameworks that pile on top of it, and the next thing you know, it's as big as what we have here. Sure. Be- you know, we we didn't make IIS bigger and bigger because it was fun. Those were features that were asked for that were needed that have been utilized uh, at one point or another. There is a certain amount of cruft that builds up, but, you know, everything starts out lightweight and fast, and it builds up because it's needed. Yeah, go yep. down, go, go download and install .NET 1. I mean, I think that thing installs in probably no time at all. That's, that's, that's kind of the tax that we pay as, as these frameworks is, you know, if, if you ask my team what, what, what would be our favorite thing to do right now, it'd be like, hey, let's just take ASP.NET and take all the stuff that's cruft and throw it out. Right. And, and, uh, you know, over 10 years, we've built our fair share of cruft. Sure. Um, and throw it out. And, uh, you know, we're, we talk about that. We, we, we talk about that every time we do a, 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 the next version. We talk about, could, could we, could we build a secondary stack that, mm-hmm. uh, with a new stack? Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I don't know if we will, but it is something we talk about. We talk about all the time is, uh, you know, could we make ASP.NET, the actual core ASP.NET, um, sit outside of the, uh, of the main.NET framework so it's actually out of band as well? We, we talk about that about every, every release cycle as well. So. And is it, is it new people bringing up what they think are new ideas, or are you really just sort of setting the stage for, here's how we got here, guys. Now let's talk about, you know, what we want to do next. Yeah, it's, it's, it's some of that. A lot of, a lot of it comes down to, you know, a great example here is, is why, why it would be fun to take like core ASP.NET out of the framework. And, um, if we took core ASP.NET out of the framework, we can make breaking changes in it. Mm-hmm. Because if you want, if you want to use the one that's in the framework, it's there and, and feel free to, feel free to use that one. And you don't have to have any breaking changes. If you want to opt into the one that's out of the framework, um, you can opt into it. It would be been deployable. And if we then wanted to break it again on the next version, on version two, if we wanted to break it, well, that's okay as well because you can always run version one in bin and version two in bin on a, in, on, the, on the same machine. So mm-hmm. um, to me, that's the, I think I think the part of the, the .NET framework that we've kind of gotten away from that we don't like is you know as things were put in that got the .NET framework then. They're untouchable. There's no way to fix them. Yeah. I mean, there's no way to change them. It's, they're, they're locked. I, uh, a great example that I was saying was we, we were just talking about, you know, if you're a web forms developer, uh, one of the things that, uh, HTML5 doesn't want you to do is do inline styles. Right. Hmm. Well, every web form control has piles of properties for inline right. styles. Yeah. I can't make them go away. Um, so what, it, what is, I mean, if you contrast that with the Windows 8 kind of mentality, which is, we're not going to upgrade .NET frameworks. We're going to upgrade Windows. How does how does that hit you? So, so kind of what I would think of, and and where I would like to see things go, and we are having these conversations, is what if what if we actually change the way the .NET framework worked? What if what if we said uh, the .NET framework is two things? It is a CLR, or or it, it's a uh, I guess it's the seal. It's the CLR and a very small number of libraries. Uh, with supporting classes, things like strings and stuff, and so that's a core library that, set. That's, that's a core library set, and that's mm-hmm. that's the that's the that's the piece that goes in the OS. Mm-hmm. And everything else is a bin deploy bin deployable selectable component. So mm-hmm. when you decide to build an app, um, instead of having this this huge .NET framework that's sitting there, you actually have almost nothing. And you go, hey, I I want WinForms, I want sockets. And I want an ED framework. And you check those three things. Your application puts those three things in bin, and that's all you have. The, the the cool thing about that that kind of stack is, and and that app sits there for three years, and and three years later you're building your your next app, and we've got the EF V next or whatever, and you check that thing, and and you check uh, maybe Metro as well as your as your UI paradigm, mm-hmm. and and you build that. Both of those things would run on the same box, even though they're using ones using components that were three years ago, ones using components that are brand new. And so you, you know, you get away from this monolithic framework that uh, puts all these backwards compat ta- uh, taxes. Well, was this something that came in four O? Was really this idea of you can run multiple versions of the framework? Uh, yeah, we did, we did do side by side frameworks. So yeah. you know, so we we have done side by side frameworks. Two uh, O was a was was a framework, and then four O was a framework that's side by side. But those are still pretty taxing from the standpoint. You've got to have the whole forty or fifty meg framework. Yeah, but it struck me that as soon as you were able to do that, there's no reason we couldn't decompose the framework into much smaller modules that can all run side by side. Yeah, and and I 
that's what we would like to do. I mean, we, we kind of started that as a team when we started take, saying, that, hey, when we built MVC, we built web pages, we built web API. None of those things are in the core framework, you know, for these reasons. Um, but I'd like to see us envision and, and take the... Yeah, it's know, like we haven't taken it far enough because there is clearly this idea of a client-side framework and a server-side framework. Yes. But it could just go so... And, then, and why not decompose into the sort of individual libraries? I mean, the main reason not to, I got to imagine, is now you go to deploy your app, what do we? What onus do we put on the user to get the right pieces in place? But well, I feel like NuGet sort of solved that. Like we we can make that transparent to the user. Exactly. Well, what what if what if the entire framework was broken up into NuGet packages, and all you did as yeah. a developer is you just checked the ones you wanted, and those it's versions of what's in your and and it doesn't matter what what operating system you're on, whether you're on Windows Seven, you're on Windows Eight, you're on Windows Nine or Windows Ten. Um, you know, you, you're against those versions and, and those, those snapshots in time. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, that that uh, that would be an awesome direction for us to to take the framework next. That's the kind of stuff we're going to look at. But you're also and you're talking about a, a serious decrufting exercise now. I don't have to maintain all the stuff of the previous version of this module in the new version because you can just run the old version. Exactly. Hmm. That, that that's exactly it. If you, if, you know, if, if I decide in in uh, web forms. Six that I I want to go kill all those CSS properties. Right. Well, if those are important to you, run Web Forms five. Right. <laughs> and until until there's enough n- enough changes in Web Forms six for you to decide to to make the changes to your application to support it. You know, I used um, to think you were the conservative Scott. <laughs> <laughs> now I know you're the crazy Scott. <laughs> no, this is we we trust me. I, I mean, it's it's the uh, it's the big bosses that are like, oh my god, you guys can't do something like that. You're gonna. <laughs> You're clearly headed this way. Like, I was looking at the feature set in 4 and thinking, they're getting ready to decompose the framework to solve this problem. How do you keep a framework from dying under its own weight? Get rid of the bits you don't need in a way that doesn't hurt anyone. Or just move them around to make them easier to update. Yes. I think the big thing is just not having this monolithic thing that you have to just, you know, slowly patch. And, and, uh, you know, all the... The amount of backwards compat that we spend time on is, is... is amazing. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik, who are going to be at NDC in Norway with us between June 6th and 8th. They want you to stop by the Telerik booth and meet all of them. Fill in a short, mobile-friendly survey to enter a raffle for a chance to win a Team Pulse and Test Studio bundle. So you don't want to miss a chance to grab Telerik's award-winning Agile project management and software testing solutions. They're looking forward to bringing you the latest award-winning technology offerings at NDC 2012. The thing that that fills me with fear coming into Windows 8 as a .NET developer is this idea that I need to roll out a new version of this app and you need to patch your OS to run it. Yep. That scares me. It's funny. I, I, I'm going to jump around on you guys because I, uh, when you guys started the, the show today, you talked mm-hmm. about routing. Yeah. Yes. And it just made me think about when, when you when you did that. It made me think about routing. Um, you were talking about web routing for a web form customer, and mm-hmm. one of the cool things is when we when we introduced the framework uh, web pages. This is the Razor stuff we did uh, January of uh, 2011. Uh, we introduced something that we internally call Smarty Routes. Smarty routes, hmm. smarty routes, and and what this is is, what if I just want routing and I don't want to have to configure it or or register a bunch of stuff? I just I just want the .aspx extensions to go away and I just want things to kind of work. And we introduced this concept of smarty routes, and I just created a tiny URL while we were while you guys were starting the show off. If people want to, um, they can go to http uh, tinyurl.com slash smarty route. S M A R T Y route R O U T E, and this will take you to uh, Alon Lipton's blog. Alon Lipton's one of the developers on this team that's been here for the the whole time, ten years, and this shows a basic web form implementation of Smarty Routes. We haven't done one of these that we've shipped yet, but we're considering shipping it as a new get uh, later this year. Wow! And what 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 Smarty Routes does is it just works. It just works. So, for, so for example, huh. if you if you have a default .aspx in your in your application, people can just go to the root of your application and right, and it'll work. If you have a test.aspx, they can just go to slash test. Right. Let's say you, let's say you wanted to pass a parameter to the test page. 
And so if somebody, somebody entered, uh, HP, your app slash test slash foo. But what, what the frame, what the library does is it goes, it goes, there's no foo in your application, but that's okay. I'm going to walk backwards up the URL. Oh, there is a test in your application. So what I'll do is I'll call the page test and give it a parameter of foo. <laughs> that's fun. And, uh, that's easy, but it, it's easy. So you can basically get the, a lot of the benefits of routing, uh, that you have in MVC, uh, without having to do complex configuration or anything like that. You can just go to the URL I sent you and, uh, download the code and, and run in your application. And there's a good chance we'll make a, uh, a nuket of that later this year. And, and, you know, it's very, very cool. But as I was saying, it, it's not all that difficult to do a route, but it is, does, you know, take sitting down, figuring it out and doing it right. Yes. Yeah. I, I can't write it by hand. I mean, I, I have to go start something and get a, a template to, to look at. I can't just uh, pull it out of my head. So Yeah. There are worse problems in this world. There are worse <laughs> problems. <in this> world. <laughs> uh, and if we're going to do other callbacks, uh, one of the things coming in 4.5 is this whole single-page application model, which, I mean, admittedly, Microsoft has not invented this, but it sounds like you're just making it dirt simple to build. So... I guess I'll be the first to introduce it, say this. Uh, we actually were not going to ship that as part of uh, the Visual Studio 11.NET 4.5 timeframe. Really? So, yeah, we, sh- we shipped a, a beta of a product we call SPA. And what SPA stands for is single-page application. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think a single-page application, if I go look at uh, Twitter or Facebook or, or Gmail or Hotmail or any of those kinds of applications, this is a, you know, when you're on a, a website that kind of acts like a, a desktop app from the standpoint that as you click stuff, you know, the browser's not refreshing the entire page. It's kind of a, a JavaScript app. Um, we think this is a, is a super important area uh, for developers, and, and and you don't see more of these apps because they're hard to write. I think if you if you Google around, I think there's an atrocious amount of JavaScript code that runs the Gmail application. Yeah, and ev- even the Gmail team has, has said before that it's super super hard to maintain. You know, the million lines of, of JavaScript or whatever they use to build that thing. Um, so we we see this as a as, a, as an opportunity uh, moving forward. Our, our plans with with Spa is we actually are going to pull it out of the uh, the release candidate of Visual Studio 11 and .NET 4.5. Um, but our hope is later this year is to still ship this as a refresh to our web stack. So obviously, when Visual Studio 11 and .NET 4.5 ship, um, what, what we call uh, internally we call it the ASP.NET web stack, and the ASP.NET web stack is what you get when you install. MVC on your box. Mm-hmm. If you install MVC on your box, you get web pages, uh, you get NuGet, you get MVC. Now you'll get NG, uh, you'll get uh, web API, and you get NVG framework. Uh, the NVG framework code first. Um, our plan is to, after Visual Studio 11 ships, to have some kind of refresh for that. I I can't promise it'll be into this year, but our that's our target. And in that in that time frame, we'll reintroduce Spa. And the main focus that we're going to do on SPA uh, is going to be do all the stuff. If, if I'm a JavaScript developer using the framework of my choice, it could be uh, Knockout, it could be Backbone, it could be Framework of the Week. These things show up every single week. Um, and, and kind of our goal would be, if, you, if you're writing an app like that, we would give you the ASP.NET Web API stack. We would give you... The data stack, it could be Entity Framework, it could be some kind of NoSQL implementation, whatever you want. Um, and we would give you a JavaScript library, it's called Upshot. And, and what you, what, what Upshot would do for you is a, is a couple of things. It would allow you to call into your web API and spread operations. I could say I want to insert a, a record or delete a record, update a record. Um, and as part of those, those CRUD operations, we would give you all the rich stuff to be able to, let's say you try to do a CRUD operation and some business logic fails or, or, you know, your date, your insert fails with some exception. We would have a nice way of flowing that, that, that information back up to the client so the client could display that on the screen correctly. So we'd have a, an easy way to take the data out of the client, ship it down through web API into some data store on the back end, flowing exceptions back and forth. Hmm. Uh, we would also do, uh, the notions of having potentially change sets. So, you know, the simple scenario is, hey, I want to go add a new person to my my contact list. The change set scenario is, um, I'm a I've built an order entry system, and as part of that order entry system, um, I'm going to, you know, you want a widget, a, a widget, and a and a wacko, and you're, I'll give you all three of these things. 
and and that operation will actually touch multiple tables, and so that's more of what I would call a change set. Yeah. Uh, but the idea is to basically say, take CRUD, take change sets, business logic, let you roll that stuff up and down uh, from the JavaScript side uh, to the server backend side, flowing exceptions, all super, super clean, and uh, we also don't want to force any constraints on you as a developer. If you've already built a web API, we don't want to make you have to go change it and have a new base class or something like that for it. We just want to make it support the existing RESTful endpoints. And so that'll, that'll be what SPA, I think, will look look like uh, late this year. But we think it's a super, super cool area that uh, people want to invest in, and our goal is to make it easier to, to do that, because all that stuff today is is rocket science for most, folk, most folks. Yeah. Well, that's cool. That's it. Sounds like you guys are, are really you're really onto something here. Yeah, I I, I think it's uh, um, uh, ask me in two more weeks. We're actually going to do an app building exercise right now. Where we're going to we're, we're going to go build a canonical spy app with tools as they are today, and then our goal is going to be to go decompose that and say, okay, how can we make this easier? So uh, I'm going to actually take the pain to see what it looks like to do this. Well, and, I, and I'm glad you guys do that. I mean the the comment that was uh, we read at the beginning of the show was about not only just the ch- fact that long-running spa apps are going to run into issues with memory consumption in browsers, but also the sort of lack of tooling around being able to see what the heck is that browser up to. You know, it, it, exactly. I mean, it's, it's, it's tough. Yeah. Um, um, and I don't know how far the tooling will go. I mean, our, 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 our V1, our goal, our goal is going to be, hey, if you're already a JavaScript developer, you're probably our target. Uh, mm-hmm. As I said, our, our target's going to be, we're not going to impose a framework on you, a, a client-side framework on you. We want to make sure it works with all the, all the client-side frameworks. I, I think for V2, I would love to get to a point where, you know, let, imagine you're a Silverlight, Silverlight developer today or a WinForm developer today. Trying to move into a SPA-type environment for a web app, I think, would kind of blow those people away because there's so yeah. many concepts that are, that are involved. I would like to, to get back to being able to provide some kind of drag-and-drop experience as well well it's, it strikes me that the the spa developer is sort of the ajax guy who's moving up yeah because it's very it's very ajaxy it's that sort of thinking he's already used to updating frames now he's saying i'm just never going to leave this page exactly uh how, i mean how much of the tooling changes because you're going spa uh the big thing on the tooling that we're, we, we think about right now is is we just want to have awesome javascript support uh, right. in the tooling. We want to have awesome CSS support in the tooling and awesome HTML5 support in the tooling. That's so our first goal is just to, just to say, you know, before we get to the point of being able to right click and, and do stuff like that is let's be the best HTML5 editor, the best CSS editor, and the best JavaScript editor on the planet. So some of, some of that work's already in the Dev11, uh, beta that's out there today and, and more of it'll be in the Dev11, uh, RC mm-hmm. that, that's out there. Um, so one of the things that we've done in, in the new tools is we've actually made CSS and JavaScript first-class citizens in Visual Studio, and and a lot of folks probably don't realize that you know if you're in C sharp and and you can you can out do code outlining, you can do fine definition, right? You can do comment and uncomment. Uh, if you're in Visual Studio 10, none of that stuff works in CSS files. None of it works in JavaScript files. Right, but now in Studio 11, JavaScript is a real language, quote unquote. It, it, Exactly. And CSS, as far as we're concerned, is a real language as well. Good. So basically, all the same things you can do in, in, in C, a C sharp file, being able to, you know, collapse a, a block of code, expand a block of code, go to definition, comment, uncomment, um, have full, uh, snippet support, mm-hmm. um, is completely built into CSS and JavaScript in Visual Studio 11. What about the debugging experience? Because I think the big thing here is you got to run that in a browser and, and understand what's going on when things break. The, the debugging experience, we haven't done a lot so far in Visual Studio 11. Uh, the, the one aspect of Visual Studio 11 that's more of an IntelliSense thing. I, we, we've, not, we've not really gone and, and hit that debugging experience yet, that's, but that's, that's on our list of things to go and, and figure out how to make that, that experience a, a, a much better experience. But it's not going to happen in the Studio 11 time frame. Not in the Studio 11 time frame, no. Right. But it is an interesting challenge in general, just to, you know, so much of JavaScript, what's going on when browsers spin off or go mental. It's just, 
we forget how much great tooling we've got in the rich client world to just know what your app is up to. Hey, uh, I was looking at the uh, spa pages on ASP.net, and it looks like there's some samples, but I don't see any samples that I can actually run in a browser. Are there any that I can go to? Uh, let me bring the, my browser up. There should be samples up there. I know there are samples I can download and compile and run in Visual Studio, but... Oh, yeah. You're asking if they can just run them live on the site? Yeah, yeah. No, we don't have any up there right now. Okay. But, you know, you've used a single-page application. You know what to expect. Exactly. I, yeah. I would say if you use Gmail or Hotmail, you, yeah. you know what a single-page application is. Yep. And, and that's, what you, that's what you would expect. And as you, got, you, you guys already called out, there's, there's all kinds of scary things in those kinds of applications. It's like, if you have a memory leak... You know, that memory leak's occurring now in the browser. Yeah. And next right. thing you know, your browser's using a, a gig of RAM. And, and mm. uh, um, I've never actually... Oh, those were the and... days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Richard, you know what time it is? Must be that happy time. It is. It's time to give away a Telerik Ultimate Collection uh, to a lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. Today's awesome. winner is Lars Bernstein. Congratulations, Lars. Golf clap for you. In Germany. Software to Germany. Software I love Germany. it. And if you don't know what we're talking about, this is the .NET Rocks fan club. And you can be a member just by going to the .NET Rocks website and clicking on the big Get Free Stuff link on the right-hand side. Mm -hmm. Answer a few questions, and uh, it's free. And every show, we give away something. We give, we've give. we been giving away uh, Grape City Power Suites, Telerik mm -hmm. Ultimate Collections, free passes to conferences, uh, occasional T-shirts and mugs and things like that. But anyway... Once a year, we're going to give away five grand worth of handpicked technology by us. A Christmas present to a lucky listener. Or a Hanukkah present. Perhaps. Perhaps. Maybe Kwanzaa. Or, or an atheist present. Doesn't Whatever matter. Whatever makes you happy. Whatever floats your boat. It's at the end of the year <laughs> in December. So you don't want to miss that. Absolutely. What else, are, what else can we look forward to in uh, ASP.NET 4.5 that we haven't talked about? Yeah, well, one of the things that I'm super happy about is, is uh, have you guys ever talked about uh, the web optimization work that we're doing in .NET 4.5 uh, on the show? I don't believe we've talked about .NET 4.5 much at all. Ah. Um, so one of the really cool features in, in 4.5 is is one of the things that kind of, not only does my, my team build, you know, all the server-side .NET stuff. So we, we build ASP.NET, we build uh, the web API stack, we, we do the energy framework stack, um, but we also own the website that's associated with it, with that. So the www.asp.net website is actually run by our team. And a year, year or so ago, we were looking at our own website. We're going, why does, why does, why does it take like four seconds for the page to refresh? Um, and next thing we know, we're kind of spelunking through the, the site and we're like, okay, every request to asp.net brings down about 45 files. Oh, oh my God. yikes. Oh my God. That's, that's not a good thing. Um, and so we went and, and optimized, you know, the ASP.NET site. If you go to it today, it's, it's, uh, and run it through tools like Wiselow and stuff like that. It'll actually score super well. Um, and as part of that exercise, you know, it kind of set, set up, we started thinking we're like, you know, we've built all of this great high performance stuff in the web stack, but we never have actually ever focused on how to make people's sites faster hmm. or, or best practices. True. And, and so one of the things that we're doing in .NET 4.5 that I'm really happy about is we're adding full support for bundling and minification into the framework. Hmm. And bundling and minification means that if you, you know, let's say your application's bringing in, you know, your page is bringing in six or seven JavaScript files. Sure. Well, that's six requests to the web server um, to serve your page. What if I could take all six of those JavaScript files, uh, merge them all together, minify them, compress them, hmm. And turn that into one request to the site. That's goodness right there. Well, and it's um, something you can do by hand, but it's a pain. It it would be sure a pain is. to do. It, yeah, you can do it by hand. There's actually tools. There's there's tools on the internet you can go to that uh, you basically upload your JavaScript files, and they uh, they will do all the the magic to make that happen. Um, we're looking at even having right click support in Visual Studio to do, to do this as well. But we have a, a dynamic feature um, in 4.5 that lets you do this as well. And the, the, the feature is actually will be released as a NuGet, so it will actually work against .NET 4 as well. So it doesn't doesn't require .NET 4.5. So it'll work on both .NET 4 and .NET 4.5. And 
And it's pretty cool. By it, it's got it's got a couple of things by conventions. So, for example, let's say your CSS files are in a folder called slash CSS on your on your on your website. If you if you just made a, a reference to your CSS file and said, "Hey, I want slash CSS slash CSS," what we'll actually do is we'll go and and uh, grab all the files in that folder that have a CSS extension, merge them, minify them, and and turn that request into into one file. So. The, the URL CSS slash CSS would not actually exist in your applications. When we see uh, a folder with a, uh, a slash and uh, either slash CSS or slash JS on the end of it, that kind of tells us what files you want us to return to you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we go and compress and minify those. So it works on both JavaScript as well. If I had my JavaScript files in a folder, I can reference the folder, not the actual files, and put a, a slash JS uh, extension on my URL, and we'll automatically go and grab all those things. Um, and super, super cool feature. We uh, also allow you to, um, and the way our projects will come out of the box is instead of actually doing it by convention like that, we're going to do something uh, a little bit better than that. We're going to go and say we're going to have a, a bunch of pre, predefined bundles in your, in your application. So we ship with jQuery and jQuery UI and Modernizer, and so we'll have predefined bundles for all those things uh, that are defined in a, in a code file where we actually explicitly say which files are in those in those. Uh, those bundles, and you can just reference the the name of the bundle, awesome. and we'll give you the the compressed files. Even cooler is, you know, a lot of people ask us, well, there's already you know there already are some compressors and minifiers out there. For sure. You know, why, why are you guys getting this space? Well, we made it all extensible, so if you actually want to use one of the third party minifiers out there, uh, you can. We don't, uh, and and that feature ends up being a, a pretty neat feature because one of the things we've heard uh, requests for time and time again is like. Can we support less? Can we support CoffeeScript? Mm-hmm. And um, by using this feature, you can we actually can can go and process less files and, and process Coffee CoffeeScript files as well because you can actually register the extension as well. You can say, here's the C sharp file or C sharp class that will process a bundle, and let's say it's CoffeeScript. Um, and what will happen is, and you give it an extension of of I would say dot CoffeeScript in this example. Mm-hmm. And what will actually happen is when we see those types of files, we will then go run them to that processor. That processor, processor can then go and run the CoffeeScript engine to go process those files and, and turn the CoffeeScript into real JavaScript. Um, so by using the same feature, we're actually enabling people to actually use less in CoffeeScript as full-fledged features in ASP.NET applications as well. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, just this kind of ultra, because it's all just text files in the end. So once you can get routing for it, you can run anything you want. Exactly. So it's, it's just, it's just text files and, and all we do is run a processor on them. And, uh, the processor that we're actually using to minify and, and compress the uh, JavaScript and, and CSS files is interestingly enough, we, we grabbed it from the MSN team. It's called hmm, WebGrease. Awesome. Um, it's and they use, it's called WebGrease. WebGrease. And it's basically the engine that those guys hand wrote to make all the like the MSNBC site and the MSN sites um, have awesome, you know, HTML, I mean, CSS and JavaScript compression and minification. Uh, so they work on a variety of devices and stuff. So, and I think all this 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 uh, support is also super important um, as well with more of us using you know tablets and mobile devices that don't necessarily have a, you know, fast internet connection. Surfing the web. Yeah, you ever try to surf the web on your phone? It's a little small. Especially when you're looking at a big list like the new feature list for Active Report 6. Oh, yeah? Yeah, we've been using it for 15 years. You know, the coolest new feature, I think, is the new Silverlight Report Viewer. What's cool about it, of course, is it's both native Silverlight for printing, but it's also got PDF support. So that really minimizes the amount of data that has to come over the wire. Makes it a lot more efficient. Well, we've been looking for a good solution for Silverlight data viewing. Yeah, it's a great product. I, I think I'm going to order it. Not on that. No, not on here. I'll go to my desk first. Active Reports from Grape City Power Tools. Smarter components for smarter developers. Uh, further to the script manager, isn't there some new capabilities as far as browser caching is concerned? So it, it, this is actually outside of the, the script manager, but the, 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 the realm of the script manager, but the bundling and minification work that I was just talking about a second ago, mm-hmm. that, that work, um, if you do, if you do the convention that I was kind of explaining uh, when we were talking about the feature, that's the simplest way of using the feature. Yeah. Um, an, another way of using the feature is we we give you a simple little helper that you use in your in your web page to render the uh, JavaScript file or render the CSS file. The benefit of using the helper is you can give us a 
you can tell us that you want to put some, something in the URL to make sure that it won't, it, it won't get, get cached if it changes. So for example, if you change a CSS file, we don't want the, we want the URL to change each time you, you change something. So we'll, we'll take a piece of the URL and put in a dynamic component based on a hash of, of the, uh, contents of the file. So each time the file changes, the URL changes and you don't have people having, having a cached version of the wrong thing. The same time is, as when we ship these files down, these compressed identified files, we also give them like a one year expiration, uh, automatically. So your browser will cache them for a extended period of time. Um, right. So, um, another benefit there is, is automatically we're giving you all the, the right, uh, headers and stuff to make sure that the, uh, the file is cached really, really well. Um, and until it will actually cache out at the endpoints of I, of ISPs that want to do caching, like all of that proper cache control headers. That's correct. Yeah. So I think a lot of people fumble over that stuff. And, and what happens if you change a JavaScript file? If you change the JavaScript file, what's going to happen is the helper that, um, that, that you would actually use to put the JavaScript file in your page mm-hmm. will go and do a hash of all the, the, the files and it will generate a new unique URL. And so the old cache version will still be in your cache, but will basically generate a new URL. Right. So it won't be referenced. Exactly. So you just don't get burned by that problem. But this is the way browser caching should work, that it's just, it's transparent. Right. Today, people you know. have to, you have to work to make that happen today. And that's, yeah. and that's, uh, a lot of folks never even find the APIs to do that. As, as I said, our own ASP.NET website was, was not doing any of these things. Well, I like when you guys eat your dog food. It makes the product better and we actually get a good site out of it. So, you know, other cool stuff. What other cool stuff are we doing in four or five? Um, uh, yeah, this is, this is, this is something really cool. So, uh, one of the things that, that we've kind of noticed, um, as, if, as we look at websites out there today, um, Used to be that five years ago, ten years ago, every time you went to a website, hey, create create your own account here, and so right. you know all of us ended up with a billion accounts all over the place. And I actually had a a Notepad file that I saved away somewhere, which you're not supposed to do with my name and passwords on all these sites because there's no way I could memorize you know the names and passwords of 20 sites. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we've all probably noticed that over the last couple of years, you know, now a lot of sites just say, hey, log in with your Twitter Twitter account, log in with your Facebook account, log in with your Google account, log in with your Live, live account. Um, and we've decided to make that a first class citizen in all the templates that we ship in the box, uh, in nice. .NET 4.5. And, uh, one of the things that was interesting about that is, you know, we, we, we prototyped this a, a couple months ago and, and, uh, it's pretty simple. We're like, ah, oh, this is not a big deal. And the next thing we know is, uh, as we're getting close to locking down the, uh, one of the milestones, uh, none of us had actually talked to our, security expert on the team. Uh-oh. And and so we we showed the code to the security expert, and he's like, you can't ship this. Like, <laughs> hmm. Thought you might say that. I'm like, oh, my you know, God. I hate it when my security expert tells me I can't ship something. I don't have a security expert, just saying. Yeah, the thing is, is, is you know, a lot of folks just go and, oh, I'll go to .NET Open Auth, and, and uh, I'll just download one of the samples there and paste right. the code in and just assume that things are, are safe. And, uh, we've got a guy on the team that, that could basically hijack a site if you just did something like that. And so yeah. one of the cool things about us providing an implementation, by the way, our implementation is, is using .NET Open Auth. One of, one of our goals is we don't reinvent what the world already has anymore. So, uh, we started looking at doing Open ID and Open, uh, and OAuth support in the, in the templating. Um, we're like, we're not going to go write our own library. We're just going to go, go use one of the ones out there. So we're actually shipping .NET Open Auth. I think we have a show coming up on OAuth. Oh, yep. awesome. Yep. So we're shipping that uh, .NET Open Auth with with all of our templates, and I said one of the cool benefits of our templates is they support all all the OAuth and and OpenID providers, so Yahoo, Live, Google, Facebook, Twitter, mm-hmm. uh, LinkedIn, you name it. Um, but the code has been been run through our security teams at Microsoft, and so I'm not gonna I can't promise that the code is perfect, but uh, you know it does it does fix a lot of the things that you could run into and, and mess up as, 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 as part of writing that code. And it's also interesting code to look at just from the standpoint, you can see how we, um, we, we actually harden that code. But I, I think our customers will really enjoy this because this is, you know, this is code that's not simple to write, but everybody wants it on their website today. Yeah. yeah. No kidding. And, and something you do want to just be able to drop in as, as painless as possible. Have you, have you guys done any, ta- any, had any uh, calls about signal R yet? Oh yeah. Uh, we did a show a while back with Damian Edwards and Co about SignalR, but uh, is it going to be part of the package? Yeah, I, that's one of the one of the things that I can kind of announce uh, on the on the show here is yeah. 
SignalR, you know, we've been we've been kind of prototyping and playing around with SignalR, um, and we're going to make it Microsoft official now. Sweet, awesome. I like so, it when you know, and and Damien was he's still part of the he, he he works for Microsoft, but he wasn't part of your team, was he? Actually, he is. He was part of my team. Oh, okay. That's awesome. He's basically the the uh, PM that that owns Core.net, um, ASP.net. So he works mm-hmm. on all of of the ASP.net that's in the actual Core framework. And uh, but he did SignalR was actually a, a you know I don't, I don't know if he told you the story on the on the show, but it was a it was a demo a year ago that he was doing. He was doing a, it was a web form demo that he that he was he was using. Mm. And the next thing we knew is, is this web form demo became a product and its own own feature. And uh, as I said, I, I can announce that. Uh, Late this year, uh, same time that the uh, spa spa worker come out, we plan to uh, fully fully have an official fully supported version of SignalR as part of our web stack. So the web stack is all of our added band components. So it would be MVC, web pages, web API, spa, and uh, SignalR um, sometime late this year or early next year if things slip. So um, what about web forms? People are they are they are they done? Are we not doing web forms anymore? Of course, we're doing web forms. We're doing lots of things in web forms in uh, in four five. So, in four five, we actually brought brought back what, what what customers don't seem to understand about web forms. And I, I'm sure I covered this last time we were on the I was on the show. Is people don't realize that web forms because it's in that core monolithic framework that we talked about early in the show. It's not something I can just change on a regular basis. I can't ship it every year like I can ship MVC. So. We kind of have to wait until the the train comes by. When the train comes by, we can hop on and and mm. do a bunch of stuff. Um, so what we what we our, our theme for .NET four or five when it come to came to web forms was a couple of things. One was we want to support the uh, async support in the .NET framework. So you can go take a method in uh, your page load event, your button event. You can put the async uh, keyword in front of that, and then you can use the new await keyword, which simplifies greatly simplifies doing async work. Yeah, um, that's fully supported in in web forms in .NET four five. Um, we, we went through and looked at everything in the in .NET 4.5 and, and said, uh, what can we do to make everything HTML5 aware? So uh, we fixed a bunch of bugs around .NET, uh, around around HTML5 support, and we went and added things like uh, the text box now has uh, a big list of of all the input types that are supported as part of uh, HTML5. We took the file upload control, and it now supports multiple file uploads and some of the features that. Uh, uh, Uploads support in uh, HTML5. Uh, the most exciting thing I think for the web form developer is the stuff that we took from MVC. MVC is one of our frameworks that we ship on an annual basis as part of the web stack. Um, we took a lot of the features that we put in MVC and brought them back into into web forms. So if you were an MVC customer um, uh, two versions ago, we introduced something we call unobtrusive JavaScript validation, and this means that when you do validation in your page. Uh, we used to in, in web forms. Our validation library inserts this awful looking JavaScript. It was written ten years ago at the bottom of your page. This huge block of JavaScript. And with unobtrusive validation, what we do is we just take your actual HTML and put some extra attributes on it. And then the JavaScript framework will actually go and read those attributes and do all the validation. So you end up with much much cleaner markup. And so that's an MVC feature that we we pulled backwards. Uh, another MVC feature that we pulled backwards is something called model binding. And this is, this is, I think, one of the things we've kind of learned over the last 10 years is when Web Forms was first conceived up and put together, a lot of it was about productivity. It's like, hey, I want to do data, so I'm going to put a data control on my page, a data source control on my page, and I'm going to put it to my SQL server and tell it I want to use that to talk to the products table, and then I'm going to put a data control on the page, I'm going to wire these two things together, and I get this, this page that, that uh, displays that, that table. You might be asking yourself, what... What SQL statement was actually executed to do that? <laughs> oh, it's just a black box. You don't know. Hmm. What if I want to change that SQL statement, or I want to, uh, you know, let's say, let's say on that same page at list products, it lets me add a new product, and and I just, you know, the control automatically does the add, and I never wrote the SQL. I actually never saw the SQL. I don't know what SQL actually occurred there. Um, and what we kind of found o- over time is. It, it, that was popular at first, but but you send, you tend to hit the edges of that. When you hit the edges of it, you're like, "Dang it, I, I'm not going to use that. I'll just go write it all myself." Right. Um, and so when we did MVC, we never put the notion of a data control or something like that. We we put in what we called model model binding, and all all model binding does is says, given a, a web page, 
and given some C-sharp object or, or .NET object. Go take all the forms on the page, figure out how you map them to that object, and fill in that object. And so we pull that feature back from, from MVC and put it in web forms. So what, it, what this means is instead of having a data source control on your page, now your page will have an uh, insert method, an update method, a delete method, and a uh, select method. And and those methods, as I said, if you're dealing with like a product object, your insert method would have a product object as a parameter, and we'll go and and figure out how to take the field on your page and fill that object in. And once you're given that object, it's up to you to write your own code to do something with that object. If you want to go stick it into SQL Server, you're welcome to write raw ADO.NET code to do that. You can use an ID framework or link to SQL to do that. You can use some third-party ORM to do that. Uh, the nice thing is, you know, we've kind of gotten out of the business of trying to do all the black magic behind the scenes and, and put it in your face. And that's what I'm understanding is our customers want. They don't want, they want to know how things work. And, uh, um, I think the model binding stuff is, is, is super cool, uh, from those standpoints. We were, we were then able to take, uh, a feature we did years and years ago with something called dynamic data, which never had as much uptake as we, we wanted it to have. But it, it, it adds a bunch of really cool features, and a lot of the dynamic data features actually are in MVC today. The, yeah. the, one of the, some of the biggest features are on that model binding I was just talking about is how do you do validation? I want to I do validation. So um, what you can do is you can take your product object and you can put attributes on the various fields saying, hey, this is required. This has a string length of 10. Um, this has a regex. It must match this regex. This must be this, this data type. Um, and what will happen is... Uh, at runtime, we'll we'll run those validation rules and verify that object. Um, by using the dynamic dynamic data work we did uh, a couple frameworks ago, we can also automatically give you client side validation on those things as well. So the model binding feature uh, is actually under the covers using some of the dynamic data work that we did a couple years ago to do all that. So um, you just put your fields on the page, and we convert those those data at data annotations into client-side validation uh, controls for you automatically. And then on the server side, we, we run those, those attributes on the server side as well. So, you know, if you somehow spoof the client-side stuff, it will run on the server side. So I, I think the, the uh, you know, that, that feature is just a, an awesome feature, and it basically mimics exactly what MVC does. So hmm. what you really see us now doing is taking the features that we put in the frameworks that ship faster and pulling them back into... Um, Web forms as we um, ship these releases. Something else that uh, that Scott Hanselman likes to talk about, and uh, we're we're talking more about, is um, we want to get away from this this notion of web forms or MVC or web pages. Uh, we you might have heard this term before. We're using a term called one ASP.NET. Yeah. And what the term one ASP.NET is is in Visual in Visual Studio today. This is something we're not going to not going to do in, in Visual Studio 11. It'll, it'll happen beyond that, maybe as, a, as an Uber release or as the next Visual Studio. Is you know in Visual Studio 11 today, when you say file new web project, you get this huge list of do you want to be a web forms app, an empty web forms app, an MVC app? Do you want to be a custom control? Do you want to be God? Where do I start? When, and if I choose one of these things, if I chose the wrong thing, am I stuck? Can I add something else to that, or do I need to go start over again? Right. Choice can be overwhelming. If you choose MVC, it's even worse. It's like, ah, I chose MVC. Oh, I figured it out. <laughs> as soon as you press that, another dialog comes up and shows you five more options. It's like, oh, my God, now I've got empty, basic, internet, right. inter internet, web API. What what the hell do I choose? And if I choose one, am I screwed? <laughs> um, the, the thing is, people don't realize that all of these ASP.NET technologies, web forms, MVC, web API, web pages, they all work together today. You can run them all in the same application. And so... The notion behind one ASP.NET is is to have in Visual Studio at some point is to have one template. I want to build an ASP.NET web application, mm. and once that happens, maybe a dialog comes up and says, "Here's a bunch of technologies. Choose which ones you want." Mm. And you could choose, you could click MVC, and you could click Web Forms, and you could click Web API. And what we would then do is inject all those those frameworks into your application via NuGet. That is nice. And we would automatically create the right routing and stuff so your web forms would work and uh with your MVC at the uh at the uh, upcoming uh North America Tech Ed I'm actually going to demo this on stage it, um, but we want to get people away from thinking of I have to choose a technology and then feel like I'm locked into some into some technology because 
the one of the new things we're building is as part of the, the stack as well is web API and and web API actually the way you get to web API today is you say I wanted to build an MVC application and then web web, web API is a choice but you can also build a web form application right click on the application say add, add item and web API will be in that list and you can add a web API directly to web forms so people need to get away from this notion of oh I've got to choose something mm-hmm. and and feel like I'm locked I think Visual Studio is in general uh, you know kind of makes this mistake yeah. where customers are dr- driven in a path they feel that they've you know Oh, I've, I've got to jump out. We actually were doing an app building. Um, that whole feeling like I need to start over. Yeah, the start over feeling. Well, my, th- my thought on that is that, you know, it's, it's overwhelming when you're first figuring out what technologies you're going to use. But then once you're, once you know what you're going to do, you know, you only have to pick one thing from the list, uh, at, you know, when you create your project. So it, it, it's nice at the beginning to have some hand holding, but I, I've always been a proponent of, Having a sort of a, uh, I'm a pro now switch, you know, that you can set once you've been led through uh, how to how to get to where you want. Now, just give me a shortcut to that. Yeah, I can jump over it. Yeah, one of the things we hear we we hear from customers all the time is is that uh, in some ways our our default templates are kind of like handheld handheld templates. They do a lot of stuff mm-hmm. automatically for you. And and one of the requests that we got all all the time is, uh, I'm an this is an MVC request. I'm an MVC developer, and I want an empty template. But we actually offer something today, what we call an empty template. But if you actually use that empty template, well, it comes with layout pages and CSS, CSS and JavaScript libraries. That's not really empty. So we did listen, and, and in, uh, in, the, in the Visual Studio 11 RC, if you, if, you, if you select MVC and choose empty, you will truly get empty. Uh, there'll be pretty yeah. much nothing in the, in the, in the thing, because that's, that's all customers wanted is, Wow, empty, 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 empty. We yeah. offer empty, empty like regular ASP.NET, ASPX, but we don't uh-huh. offer empty MVC. And so now we're offering a. How you and that's real- totally a pro thing. You know, how long have we complained about you put stuff up, come up to a blank screen, and nobody knows what to do? Mm-hmm. And now we're saying, you know what? I miss that. <laughs> it's, ex- it's amazing how things come around, isn't it? We're like, oh, everybody wants to be handheld because they don't want to open up to a blank screen and know what not what to do. And now it's like, yes, that's exactly what I want. I don't want to spend. Yeah, I, I need you to leave me alone. Yeah. Well, is there anything else that we want to cover in the next three minutes before we're done with the show? Um, the the last thing I can co- I can cover real quick is, is this is just kind of some odds and ends things. One of the things that we did in in .NET four five that uh, is kind of hidden is we dramatically increased uh, or decreased our startup time. So our startup time, uh, the first time a request hits the web server, is decreased by about thirty percent uh, compared to .NET four zero. Uh, so your app will start up a lot faster. And then we, we decreased overall memory usage by about 30% as well. Hmm. And so one of the things that every customer, no matter what of our frameworks you're using on, on .NET 4.5 will be, is you'll get faster start times and lower memory usage. Um, and so we're super happy about that. One of the, it's always trying to make the product faster, scale better, uh, handle more load. Uh, and so that's kind of a hidden thing that you, you'll never kind of see when you're probably looking at what's new because it's all just a list of features and yeah. people don't think about memory and, and startup time. That's awesome. Well, we like we like fast startup time. So, well, thanks very much, Scott, for helping us understand what's coming down the pike, especially announcing SignalR as an RTM product. That's great. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me, guys, and uh, love to come back maybe in six months and uh, talk about after everything RTM yeah. and, and talk about what actually made it in the box. That'd be awesome. Bet we won't be that long. It'll be sooner <laughs> than that, but yeah. Yep. We need to talk more often, Scott. You know some good stuff, and we need to know more about sure it. Sure do. Cool. Thanks, guys. All right. Thank you, and we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. Thanks for listening. And remember, Pluralsight.com is where you can get 200 free minutes of developer training online. Pluralsight.com. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. 
online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.